If you have your Bibles this morning, Matthew 7 and 6, just one verse is what I want to read from, and I do feel very strongly to share this with you as God would allow, as God would move. As you're turning to Matthew chapter 7 in the 6th verse, I would just like to ask you to bear with me this morning. My mind is a little, I guess, scrambled, if you will, is a good word. Delirious. I have two sick sons at home and a wife in Africa. And unbeknownst to me, all this time, behind my back, Tamberley's been doing all the child care. No idea, Sister Clemens. I have no idea how that happened. Uh, so uh, when she is away, I become aware of that revelation. And you would think 14 years into very heavy international ministry that I would be aware of that at this point. But she's on a missions trip to Kenya to spread love and peace to the precious souls of Nairobi, Kenya and Karen, Kenya. And we're so thankful for that. I'm thankful for a wife that on her 40th birthday asked for the funds to go on a missions trip to Africa. I'm thankful for that. That means more to me than just about anything else. And so I'm deeply, deeply thankful for that. To keep my sons in prayer, not only are they stuck with me for the next 10, 12 days doing all the cooking uh, that I won't do, <laughs> let's just be honest. It'll be Uber Eats just about every night. So pray for them, but pray for uh, Malachi especially. His fever would break. Zion is also quite ill. They have two different illnesses all at the same time. Absolutely crazy, but God is good, and he is with us. Matthew 7 and 6 says this, Do not give what is holy, say holy, to the dogs. It's an interesting statement. This is Jesus talking, by the way. This isn't some irascible apostle that was off in the flesh, some mercurial personality that is given or want to go on temper tantrums and make statements that seem unkind. This is Jesus, God made flesh, saying something so profoundly different from what he just said before that it's comical and staggeringly profound when you find the balance of the two statements and revelations that he just made back to back. But he says, do not give what is holy to the dogs. He's talking about people, not canines. Nor cast your pearls before swine. That's a pig if you weren't aware. Again, he's talking about people. Lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces it's a fascinating revelation and so with the help of the Holy Spirit of God only by his help I want to speak to you from this very simple entitled thought the curious case of pearls and pigs the curious case of pearls and pigs Let's go before the Lord. If you could just set your Bible down next to you, lift your hands and loose your voices all over this house one more time. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you for your people. We thank you for your anointing. We pray that you help us and anoint us to speak only by your spirit and by your unction as you are God, God alone. And we surrender to you fully and openly and completely. We want nothing more but your will to be done. Come and say what you want said. Speak it through us. Anoint us to be the vessel and the oracle of your thoughts and your character and your nature and your holiness in this house at this appointed time this morning. Let your angels be a guard around this sanctuary. Let revelation, let understanding, and let power from your name be released to us that we may see you and that we may become like you. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen. Can you clap your hands as you're seated? Thank you for standing. Thank you for your worship. God is so amazing, and he's doing so many amazing things, and I would just like for you, thank you, my friend, Brother Cedric, you're kind. I would like you to turn to your neighbor and say, Shana Tova. Very good. You're speaking Hebrew, and you know it not. You just said Happy New Year to your neighbor in the Hebrew language. It is Rosh Hashanah starting tonight, the evening. It will start this evening. That is the Jewish New Year. So if you've been having a, a, a bad go of it the past few months, tonight, it's a brand new year. Just start over. That's all you got to do. There's hope in that. Just start over. It's the head of the year. You don't have to wait till January 1. That's not even in the Bible. Now is the new year. It's the head of the year, Rosh Hashanah. Very beautiful. This is supposed to be, according to... Jewish scholars, and just basic analysis using the Hebrew language, a year of fulfillment. Anybody been waiting on something? All right, September to September, a year of fulfillment and a year of prosperity and abundance and blessing in every level of wealth. Amen? Anybody receive that? That's a decent word. Anybody receive that? That's optimistic. It's a good thing. We should receive it openly. So, happy Jewish New Year. Rosh Hashanah, Shana Tovah. Let it be a blessed, blessed year, head of the year for you. So, it's a time of entering and embracing the holiness of God. The first 10 days are very vital, very crucial, leading up to Yom Kippur. And so, I would invite you to join in that, not because it's something you just absolutely have to do. No one is saying it's salvific in, uh, in any way. We're just saying that it's probably wise to just spend the next 10 days, it's not going to hurt you, in some consecration, in some prayer, and dedication unto God. Give yourself to him completely as never before. Surrender to his will. Surrender to his nature and his goodness. And watch what God does as he begins to take over and shape your year. Because I promise you he has better plans for your year than you do. It's possible and just remotely likely that he is better at organizing our year than we are. So surrender to him. If he ordered the stars and named the trillions of them and also spoke their rotation and revolution into existence and managed all manages all of it just by his word, just because he told it to, surely he can order the steps of our life. I believe he can. And I'm glad two people believe that as well. Amen. God is good. And he will order your steps. 
This has been a troubling season for me, for my family, the past few months. We've been in a lot of trials. We've been in a lot of spiritual attacks. We've had a lot of things going on. Things come out of nowhere, randomly, seemingly randomly. Sicknesses that shouldn't even really be in circulation just hit our home. Crazy things occur. Financial stress, all types of things. And in the midst of all of that, God is still good. And God still orders our steps one day at a time. So, I was having lunch with someone. They said, tell me about your life. I just told them the events with a smile on my face. And they looked at me and said, do you have any good news? I wasn't even complaining. I was just sharing like historical facts. That's all. Smiling, talking about it. I said, yeah, here's the good news. Because I just realized that everything I told you probably wasn't good. But here's the good news. I feel the best I've ever felt. In the midst of a valley, in the midst of all kind of chaos and nonsense, I am tethered to the hope of the kingdom of Almighty God. I'm tethered to the hope that can only be found in the love of God. So I feel great, and that's the good news I have for you. Peace really does pass understanding when it comes from his presence. Anybody believe that in this house this morning? I believe that. Can you shout a good amen if you believe that? There we go. Let's get loud. So in times of great stress and struggle, God has given me a formula to go to. I leave everything in the Bible, and I only obsess over the words of Jesus. So when your stress meter is in the red line area, you need a red letter study habit. That's what you need. That's what you need. That's what God has shown me. He said when you can't think and you have trouble and you struggle to focus on what's going on because so much is coming against you and it seems like so much is trying to destroy my will in your life, you need to go directly to just what I said. Just focus on what I said. And so I do. I just want to know what Jesus said. So I'll skip the narrative. I'll, I'll skip the context. I'll skip the description that I know very well. And I'll just focus on what Jesus is saying. The words of his mouth. Especially the Sermon on the Mount. And it was this area of Israel where the Sermon on the Mount was given that affected me so deeply 10 years ago when I went there for the first time. It was amazing. It was powerful. It was so captivating and very surprising to me. Because I had been told, God is everywhere. He is. And so you can feel him right now in this place in DFW, Texas, just like you could feel him in Jerusalem, in Israel. Found out not true. He is even more powerful in Israel. Anybody been there before? I know Sister Clemens has. There's nothing like it. It was mind-blowingly awesome to sense his presence so powerfully, so purely in the land of Israel. 
There was simply nothing like feeling that. And this area where the Sermon on the Mount was given in that general vicinity, that's when it clicked. It was my first morning in Israel, and it clicked with me. This is different. And I broke. I was in a boat sailing across the Sea of Galilee, and I broke started weeping uncontrollably. My head was in my hands. My hands were on top of my knees. I was sobbing. I could not stop. And a Jewish man came up to me, put his arms around me, and said, so you're just finding out that you're Jewish? And I was like, you know, I don't know. All I know is I don't know what's happening to me right now. He said, the land's affecting you. It only does this to Jews. I said, what? And so I sat and talked with him. His name was Eris Sasson. He's a very wise man, a Messianic Jew, believed in Jesus. Powerful, powerful guy. Former special forces in the, mil- in the Israeli military. Uh, if you know me, you know that I absolutely ate that up and loved it. And so it was, it was awesome to just sit there and, and talk with him as I realized this feels like home. This is amazing to me. It blew my mind. It truly did. And so this area, the Sermon on the Mount, where it was delivered, where it was given, is very special to me. And the words of Jesus spoken there are, in my opinion, the most powerful words ever spoken in a sermon. So if you're ever feeling down and you need direction, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And then when you get to the end of Matthew 7, read it again. And then if you have time, read it again. Because it will absolutely change your life if you catch the revelation shared in the Sermon on the Mount. The manifesto of Messiah. One of the most powerful and the most powerful message and sermon ever preached on planet Earth is recorded in those three chapters. The depth of the revelation is truly staggering. And it gets so powerful, the more you unfold it, the more you unwind it, it gets larger. It's so intense. And it speaks to me and ministers to me so very much. And I would encourage you to study it and read it over and over. I promise you, you will not exhaust its revelation. You will not come to the end of its provision for you prophetically and cognitively. And it's here in chapter 7 that God began to show me a balance that his end-time bride must walk in if we want to enter our destiny. And it truly opened my eyes to some understanding I had not had before just yesterday as the Lord spoke to me to turn to chapter 7. But first, I want to read a story in Genesis chapter 21, verse 14 through 20, because this is a word about intercession that I really felt strongly led of God to share with you this morning. Got any intercessors in the house? We're going to have more. Because you can't operate in the prophetic without being an intercessor. And you don't understand the prophetic if you don't understand intercession. It's not possible. And a church culture can't understand the prophetic if it doesn't understand the word of God. Amen? 
And so intercession is something we must understand and we must operate in because of how powerful it is and how much God blesses those willing to stand in the gap for someone else because of love. No consumers in an intercessor culture. Nobody leaves church saying, I just didn't get anything out of that service today. When you come as an intercessor, because you came to give first your worship to him, and then you came to affirm somebody, to love somebody, to pray with somebody, to minister to somebody, and to sow into somebody's life. And when you come to church with that mentality, God electrifies it and blows it up. And you'll never leave saying the catchphrase of the consumer Pentecostal. I just didn't get nothing out of that one today. Bless your little shallow heart. You need a revival. From the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, you need a revival. Genesis 21 and verse 14. This, if you're moved by injustice, and we should be, this is one of the greatest injustices that the Bible is explaining to us and describing for us. The injustice of Hagar and Ishmael. Ishmael gets a bad rap from people that don't understand his history. But you put yourself in his shoes, and then you tell me what you would do. You put yourself in Hagar's shoes, and then you tell me how you would respond. If you were kicked out because of the idea you went through with that you didn't have and you were forced into... And then you were put off in the wilderness to die and wonder because of something you had nothing to do with initially. Because somebody else rushed the will of God, you get cast out. Does that sound fair? It's not. Life's not fair, so don't look for fair. But that's unjust. It truly is. And the story is very interesting. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water so she gets a Gatorade and a loaf of bread. Thanks for your service. There's the wilderness. One Gatorade. She's got a kid with her. And he gave it to the boy and to Hagar and sent her away. And then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up. And she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. And then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot. All right, that's an archery term. For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. This is a desperate situation. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and she wept. When she lifted her voice, what do you think she was doing? Got any mamas in the house? What do you think she was doing for her boy? Interceding. 100%. Because if you have a child, you have a son or a daughter, you know what you would do in that situation. You've never loved anything until you hold your child. I have three. Only one of them is here with me. I love them more than anything. I would die for them 
instantly. They have my name, and I love them with all of my heart. So when she lifted up her voice, you know what she was saying. It's given if you understand the relationship. But listen to 17. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Funny question. Dying in the wilderness? Out of water? Kids dying? He's over there. He's going to die. Then I'm going to die. But we're fine. This is fine. So what ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of who? The lad, where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand. For I will make him a great nation. And then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. And so God was with the lad, and he grew, and he dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. How far away was she from the lad? What did he become? God has a way of turning abandonment into provision. God has a way of taking your worst moment and bringing out of it one of your greatest skill sets and assets. She put him a bow shot away, lifted up her voice in intercession, and the boy she thought would surely die rises up, gets a drink of water from a supernaturally provided well, and becomes an archer of power and authority, and God makes a great nation out of him. That's the power and story of grace. From the moment of your greatest difficulty, just a few steps away, can be your greatest triumph. Because God can change your situation, no matter how bleak or dire, in one moment. In a single instant, God can change your situation. In the New Testament, we see it like this. In the place that he was crucified, there was a garden. You know what happened in the garden? He came walking out of the tomb, the garden tomb, just a few days after he was crucified. Three days later, in the place he was crucified, just a few steps away was the place of his greatest triumph. In one moment, in but a few steps, just like Hagar saw, just like we see in the life of Jesus, God can turn your worst situation into your greatest testimony. Somebody receive the hope of the kingdom this morning. It only takes but a moment in the presence of God. And your worst situation can become your best and greatest testimony. Just like that. It doesn't have to take years. It can happen in a moment. It can happen in a moment. We need intercessors. Now more than ever. We need joyful intercessors. Happy intercessors. Not heavy, moderately depressed, overly somber intercessors. Be a happy intercessor. Be a joyful intercessor. 
Don't be an intercessor that walks around telling everybody, you don't understand the weight of the anointing upon my life. Yeah, I do. I carry a burden for quite a few nations. I get it. Trust me, I get it. But nobody wants what you have, and you can't expect anybody to want what you have if you walk around like some kind of spiritual, depressed wizard all the time. It's not good. It's not helpful, and it's not the will of God for your life to walk around so burdened by the heaviness of my anointing. No one understands it, so I just drag it on. We don't need somber, depressed, Prozac-addicted intercessors. We need joyful, happy, walking in the Spirit, led of the Spirit, living in the fruit of the Spirit, prophetic intercessors. That's what the kingdom needs. Not this other nonsense. Pull yourself out of that. There's a book called The Happy Intercessor by Benny Johnson. You should read it. It'll help you with a lot of good points. But think about Hagar. The story amazes me. The driving force and the motivating factor behind the weeping of Hagar was not desperation, although it was a desperate situation. The thing that motivated her was love for her baby. Love is the most powerful force on earth, in the spirit, doing things from a foundation of love. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians, if I'm not doing it out of a foundation of love, I'm a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Everybody knows you're in the room because they can hear you, but they're not glad you're there. Be like somebody walking through here with bagpipes. Everybody knows you're here, but everybody can't wait for you to leave. That's the analogy Paul's making. When you do things and your gift is operating from a foundation that is not the love of God, everybody knows you, but nobody likes you. Because it's obvious you're doing it for self-aggrandizement. You're doing it to make a name for yourself. And that is very palpable. You want to be known. You want to be exalted. You want to be seen. You want to be elevated. Please, throw that aside and do things out of love. Because watch what happens. Jeff Arnold shared this years ago at a conference, and it still sticks with me so powerfully. He said he told God, when I pray for people sometimes, I don't feel power. He said, good. You don't need to feel power. You need to feel love. Don't wait to pray with somebody or for somebody or share something with somebody. Don't wait until you feel powerful. Have some compassion and love them. And God told him, if you will feel love, they will feel my power. That's a revelation. Don't wait on feeling powerful. You might not ever feel powerful. That's okay. Feel love for people. Feel love for your brother and your sister. Speak affirmation. Speak life. Operate and live and flow from the foundation of God's perfect love. Then you can cast out fear from any situation and in any situation that you may find it. Because perfect love casts out fear.
We need to feel love when we minister, not power. Love must be the foundation and the basis for the prophetic. And if it's not, then your gift is likely operating in error. And you need to be careful because some of the things you're doing are inaccurate. It must be love. Watch what happens. Hagar, out of love, cries out to God, but God hears the lad's voice. But the lad wasn't praying. We don't know what the lad was doing. He could have been drawn in the dirt. He could have been already unconscious. We have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us. All we know is that mama was praying. Hagar lifted her voice and wept, but God heard the lad's voice. But the lad wasn't praying. The lad's mother was praying. Because when we deeply intercede, watch what's happening. When we deeply intercede in absolute love and compassion, God hears our prayers in the voice of the one you're praying for. I'm going to say that one more time. When you pray and intercede out of love, God hears your prayer and attributes that prayer to the person you're praying for. Do you have any idea how mind-blowingly powerful that is? Do you have any idea the weapon that that just can become if you understand that revelation? If you have a lost loved one and you want them to pray certain prayers, get on your knees, get on your face, intercede for them, and heaven will hear their voice as you pray. That is staggeringly powerful. So if I need and I want someone that I love to pray a certain way, I need to start praying that way as them in prayer and watch what God does with that intercession. If you have lost loved ones, intercede for them. Intercede in joy. Intercede from a place of hope and not utter despair. Intercede from a place of happiness, from the hope of the kingdom, from the perfect love of the kingdom, and watch what God does. Watch what he does. Because heaven records that prayer under their account. That's amazing. We need intercessors. How many of you are going to, in the next week, find a place and ask God to give you a burden and then intercede for that person or that nation or that city, whatever it may be? Because you can intercede for far more than just a person. You can intercede for a nation. You can intercede for a city. You can intercede for a business. You can intercede for anything. There's great power in that. And our opening text, moving quickly along, Messiah, Messiah chose pearls to represent the treasures of the kingdom. Pearls. Why not diamonds? Emeralds. Jade. But he specifically chose pearl. The first time I saw 
beautiful pearls. If you were to ask me years ago about pearls, I would have said, I mean, yeah, they're cool. They're circular little bead things people wear. They look like Mardi Gras beads, but they're a little prettier than that. I wouldn't have known what to tell you. But I was with my family in Singapore. Liv Liv was there. Zion, Malachi, my beautiful wife, Tamerly. We're walking through this very beautiful mall. All the malls are beautiful there, super high-end. And we were there to walk. We weren't there to buy anything because we couldn't. So we're just there walking around. And I passed this jewelry store. And I've seen amazing, exquisitely beautiful things in Singapore. Million-dollar watches, just crazy stuff. But I passed this window, and I stopped because what I saw was so beautiful, it literally stopped me in my tracks. And it was a pearl necklace on a mannequin. And I stopped and I looked at it. The light was hitting it just right. And it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. The iridescence, the purity, the beauty of it stopped me as I was walking. And I just stared at it. And I thought, wow. Okay. That's a pearl. I see you pearls. All right. That's nice. I had no idea how beautiful they could be when they're real and they're authentic. And so God woke me up last week and he said, he asked me to ask him why he used the pearl out of every gemstone that he created on earth. But when we see the kingdom, it's pearls. Don't cast your pearls before swine, the pearls of the kingdom, the pearls of revelation. He says in another place, Matthew 13, I believe it is, the kingdom is like unto a merchant who was seeking goodly pearls. Not diamonds, not rubies, not emeralds, not sapphire, not gold. Pearls. So God connected the kingdom to pearls. He said, ask me why I did it. So after a rather elementary study on pearls, I discovered that the pearl is the only gemstone on earth that comes from a living creature. Everything else comes from the earth, time, pressure, heat. It's partnered with something that is inanimate. But a pearl comes from a living creature. It is the only gemstone that does come from a living creature. So why does that matter? Because it's literally a gemstone of partnership with something living. So when you see a pearl, you can think partnership. It's not just a pearl. It's the pearl and the vessel. It's the beauty of the balance of those two things. It's the pearl and the living creature. They come together to create this beautiful gemstone that is universally unique. As far as we know, it's the only gemstone in existence that comes from a living creature. So it means partnership. When you see a pearl, think partnership. Its preciousness is derived from the fact that it exists because of partnership. Partnership with a living creature and an unlikely process that produces great wealth. Very unlikely process. So let's look at it a little bit deeper. What is the pearl process? What is the prophetic development of a pearl? It's very simple. When a mollusk, which is the living creatures that pearls come from, 
and are created by. When a mollusk gets an irritant inside of it that it cannot flush out naturally, another process takes over. Anybody been facing some spiritual irritants? that you can't get out of and you can't get over and you can't get past? Because I just got about 150 prophetic pings in the spirit realm when I said that. So I know it's not just a couple. It's a lot. Can I tell you in the spirit of God that it is not his will for you to have to struggle with the same reoccurring defeats and the same reoccurring issues day after day for years. It is not the will of God that you live in bondage. It is not the will of God that you live constantly having to fight this thing that irritates your spirit and your prophetic future. You do not have to live with it because it's an issue. God can get you over it. God can get you beyond it. And God can heal it and make it as though it never happened. It's happened for me and it's happened for too many of my friends. So you come too late to tell me God can't sovereignly and supernaturally take your issue completely out of your life. But we excuse things as issues. When it's just actually sin. Can I tell you something? You can't get deliverance from the devils you enjoy playing with. And you won't. Because you keep partnering with them. That's why you can't get victory over them. It's not on God's end that something is lacking. That will never be the case. He is incapable of error. It is always on our end that something is lacking. So when I partner with it, it has access in my life. But if I don't partner with it and there is no agreement, there can be no access. And I've come to tell somebody in the Holy Ghost this morning, this can be your last day fighting the same issue that keeps creeping back into your life. This day, on Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah 2022, this can be the last time that you have to fight that. And then when God touches you supernaturally, resistance to it is almost involuntary because you have a new nature. That's the only way it's possible. I have a new nature. I've been reborn. It's a rebirthing process. It changes everything. And I'm telling you right now, there are many of you, you keep falling in the same trap, you keep tripping over the same thing. And God is wanting you to know, that's not my will for you. Ask me for help. Because there's a beautiful scripture in the Song of Psalms that says this. He says, do you see the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the garden of my love in your life? He says, can you catch them for me? Can you remove them for me? But then at the end he says, we will do it together. 
It's a partnership. You're not on your own. You're coming out of this addiction by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of your partnership with the presence of God. But we've got to get to the place where we're sick of it being in our life. And I don't enjoy agreeing with it anymore. Because it's killing you. And it's robbing you of a place in him that he died to get you to. And that's what it's keeping you from. But you can be free from it today. Right now, you can be free. Because God said, my kingdom, it's like a pearl. It's like pearls. It's like partnership. It's not a dictatorship. It is a monarchy, unquestionably. But... It's unlike any monarchy that's ever been or will ever be on this earth. It's a partnership and a co-authoring and a hosting of the presence of Almighty God. And he will walk with you right up to that irritant that you can't flush out. And you watch what he's going to do. He's going to transform it into something else. Because watch what happens. Here's the process of a pearl. When that mollusk gets that irritant and it cannot flush it out, no matter how hard it tries, it can read every book written on the subject. It can binge watch every TED talk about the problem. Recommend all of it. Love TED. Love TED talks. But TED can't do for you what Jesus Christ can do for you. I watch more TED Talks than all of you. I promise. But at no point do I think that is where my entire answer will come to. Supplemental information that is helpful? Absolutely. Source? Absolutely not. Big difference between those two. But this mollusk tries everything it can do. It cannot get it out. It cannot remove the irritant. And it's destroying the tissue. It's destroying the body of that mollusk. So another process has to take over. A process of transformation. A higher power is called upon. And something called mother of pearl is released to cover that stubborn irritant. Think about that. Think about what happens. It's got this thing inside of it that's destroying it. It can't get rid of it no matter how hard it tries. So it has to yield to a partnership from a higher power. And that mollusk releases something that it and it alone can create called mother of pearl. And it comes to the irritant and it covers it. What does love do? covers a multitude of sin. God has not come here to expose you. God has not come here to demoralize you. God has come here to cover you and deliver you. And if you will respond to the love of God, no one will ever know what you're battling and struggling with. You have any idea how good of a deal that is? You just have to get to the point where you're sick of the addiction, you're sick of the pain, you're sick of the dysfunction, and you're tired of agreeing and partnering with demonic influence. Because you see, 
that it does not have your best interest at mind or in heart. And God has shown me how to see different people, especially in other countries, people you run into that are very, very skilled in dark things, dark arts. God showed me, don't see them as an enemy. See them as a talented vessel that's on the wrong team. And I'm going to use you to show them they're on the wrong team. And when they see that what they've agreed with wants nothing more than to rip them apart and rip apart everything that they love, then a revelation's going to come and they're going to realize, I have joined the wrong team. I'm on the wrong side. And then all you got to do is switch sides. It's literally that easy. You just have to switch sides. You just have to realize that what you're fighting wants to rip apart your marriage and your children and your home and your finances. It is not your friend, so stop agreeing with it. Stop partnering with it and turn to the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. His love is here to set you free and completely deliver you. Not demoralize you deliver you because love covers and if you're operating in love even if you sent something on somebody else you don't go tell everybody about it you take it to prayer or you take it up the chain of command and spiritual authority you definitely don't talk about it to your peers or anyone below you in spiritual authority that is unwise That's the spirit of error, not revelation and truth. We're to cover. So the mother of pearl is released, and I'm rapidly running out of time. It's released, and a new reality takes over. Because once the irritant is covered in mother of pearl, what was potentially dangerous becomes breathtakingly beautiful. Weakness is transfigured into wealth. And a trial produces treasure. I'm not talking about a love that just covers it and keeps it what it is. I'm talking about a love and a power of the kingdom of God that comes to it and makes it what it could never have been on its own. So it goes from an irritant in the vessel to the best part of the vessel because of love, because of the mother of pearl, because of the process that creates the pearl itself. And Jesus said, my kingdom is like a pearl. When I come to you, when God gets his hands on you, that thing that was an irritant, it's about to become the best part of your story. It's about to become the best part of your life. That thing you're so ashamed about right now, the encounter you're about to have with God at this altar is about to make that thing the most beautiful part of your story. Because he found you and he came to you and he covered you and he didn't just cover and hide. He radically transformed from an irritant to a pearl That is massive transformation. So a pearl represents partnership with his presence and his grace. It symbolizes the many moments of pain that his grace turned into provision, revelation, wisdom, direction, and correction. 
and the twelve gates of heaven are made each of one. Here it is again. A pearl to remind us of the beauty of being his partner. Twelve gates, all of them made of a pearl. So when you walk in, you walk under the very thing that symbolizes a partnership with him. The very thing that symbolizes you were stuck. You had something in you that you could not get out of you. But God came and released his love into the face of your darkness, into the face of your addiction. And he transformed it into something else entirely. Something beautiful, wealthy, and priceless. Transformation. It's very powerful. Transform to transfigure, same thing. I like transfigure better. It sounds more dramatic. That's why I like it. It sounds more British. That's why I prefer it. But it's the same thing. Transfigured and transformed. Remember when Jesus was transfigured before them? He looked completely different. He had a glow he didn't have before. And that needs to be our prayer. God, I want to know you until I glow you. It's not just cool. It doesn't just rhyme like it's Dr. Seuss or whatever. It makes sense. I want to be transfigured by you. So I want to know you until who you are is glowing from my countenance. It's glowing from my face. I want to know you so deeply that when people experience me, they're really experiencing you in me. That is the purpose of kingdom culture. That is my passion. So that you don't really meet me, you meet him in me. Because I can't do a lot for you, but he can change you from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. And I want people to encounter him flowing through me. That is a kingdom vessel. That is what being transfigured is about. That's what happens inside of Moloch. That's what happens in the process of a pearl. So today, you might have tons of irritants. You know what that means? You're about to be full of pearls. It means the potential for value is so much higher. That's why Jesus said the people that don't know they're blind don't need a doctor. He said, I've come for the sick, those that know they're sick. So if you don't think you have any irritants going on in you because you got it going on, then your potential of value is very low, mainly because you're blind. But if you know that you know that you know, like I know about myself, that I need him to release his love into me, if you know I got some irritants in me and I've tried everything, but I cannot get them out. I can't release this bitterness. I can't release this anger. I can't release this addiction. I can't release the hate I feel for the people that abandoned me and hurt me. I want you to know something. In his presence, those irritants are about to become priceless pearls of revelation and power. In the presence of God, as you submit to him and surrender to him, he will transfigure you and change everything. Transformation, being transfigured. There's two words in the Greek language and musicians you can come give the people honest to God hope. I've been stuck at home 
with sick boys, taking care of them. I haven't been out, haven't talked to anybody. You just have to forgive me. Just wanted to preach a while. Two words in Greek for transform or transfigured. One of them is used by God, as in when Jesus was transfigured, and other things are transforming. Transform the mind, Romans 12, powerful stuff. It's metamorpho, where we get the word metamorphosis. It's a powerful word. But there's another one. And the other is used by Satan and his angels. When it says he transforms himself into an angel of light. And that his angels transform themselves into angels of light. There's a false transformation. And what's getting ready to happen in the end time, only directed by God, who is loving and perfect, is that he is about to show the world which one is which. Because there are angels of darkness who transform themselves into angels of light. And then there are actual angels of God. And there are people who transform themselves into angels of light. But darkness is inside of them. And they will not allow God to heal it or touch it or take it away. And they manipulate. And God is sick of that. And he is judging it now. I want you to soberly be aware and listen to what is happening. Because that word that's translated transform for both environments, both types of beings, is the same word in English, very different in Greek. That word transform concerning Satan, the transformation he uses means disguise. It means you're dressed up like Halloween. That's not really who you are. But you wear the mask and you wear the disguise. But that's not really you. And Matthew 7 and 6 points this out. He says, do not... Let's go down a little further. 15. Matthew 7 and 15. Be aware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing transformed, right, disguised, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. So why did God say don't give the holy things to dogs, don't give pearls to pigs? Why did he say that? Because a pig, why does God hate pigs? Because a pig, they look like on the outside what they are not on the inside. They have a split hoof, and they look like they're kosher, but they're not. Because on the inside, they only have one stomach. They don't chew the cud, so they have no appetite for what would make them clean. They look clean, but watch what they eat. This is a prophetic word to this body right now. His body globally. False prophets are going to be revealed, but the way you can see them now is by watching what they eat. God hates pigs because they look like they're all together, but they don't eat the right thing that would make them clean. They don't have an appetite for the stuff that would make them clean. So watch 
false prophets. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit, not their gifts, their fruit. Gifts mean nothing. I've told people over and over that come for prophetic mentoring, don't tell me how gifted you are. I'm not even looking at that. Glad you can have visions. Glad you can see things. But what I'm looking at is the fruit of your life. Your relationships. Can you maintain healthy ones? Can you build trust? Can you love people? Can you celebrate someone else's success? Or when someone else is promoted, do you get angry? I don't care how gifted you are. If that's your spirit, you need to get over that before you can do anything else in the kingdom of God. Because we celebrate people when they're promoted here. We celebrate when somebody gets a raise here. We celebrate when someone's used of God here. We get joy from it. We get peace and happiness from it. Derek was powerfully used of God today, flowing prophetically in Psalms, flowing prophetically in giving a word, and then doing the own interpretation. We celebrate that. We honor that. We want that every single service. We can't get enough of that. Moses said, I would to God that all the people of God would prophesy. It's beautiful. You'll know them by their fruit. Watch what they eat. Watch what they consume. They'll reveal themselves. He says, beware of false prophets. Be known by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And the Lord says, for far too long my people have been trying to push through the thistles and the thorns to get the occasional grape. And what happens is when they're eating from leaders that are false inside and deviant inside and will not repent inside, the people that eat from them are very wounded and cut up and broken and hurt because they've had to push through the thorns and the thistles just to live from the occasional grape because that man's not teaching them how to live from the source which is God and God alone and your connection to him. And so you'll see the people that have got thorns sticking out every part of their body because they've had to crawl through the nonsense that surrounds that person just for the occasional grape. God said, no more. God said, not my people. I won't allow them to do it. Not another day. Because before you eat the grapes of a ministry, discern the nature of their environment. Check for symmetry between the fruit of their lips and the fruit of their life. Because we need transformation as never before. We need it.